do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Slowly recovering from all my beer league hockey injuries. Bad knee, bad thumb, bad hip. Nothing like playing hockey to get banged up. I can't imagine... I can't imagine the pain and suffering that NHL players go through during an NHL hockey playoff. Must be utterly, it just must be immense. Just immense. So. You sound like the Colorado Avalanche injury list in one person. Yeah, but all minor, like little minor aches and pains with me. Um, for those guys, they're they're playing with major stuff. Like it's. Did you see Valerie Natushkin's x-ray? No. <laughs> whole foot is bashed in his broken toe or his big toe is broken right in the middle they blocked a shot in game five and then in game six they said he needed medical assistance to put his skate on and all he did was play 23 minutes amazing yeah medical assistance like a doctor <laughs> he got his skate on was how they worded it <clears throat> so Alrighty, we're going to talk about some off-season stuff, Bruce, because the, with the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup, congratulations to that fantastic hockey team. Um, the orders are now, you know, we're now in the NHL's off-season. Trades can start to happen. We're going to start to see some trades. We're going to, you know, the draft's coming up on the 7th of July. When, what is, when is for agency? Is that the 13th of July for agency? 13th, yeah. Buyout window opens on July 1st. That's a big one. And there's all kinds of rumors. July 1st buyout window, that's a big one, as you say. So there's all kinds of rumors. Today we're going to talk about a number of them. We're going to talk about um, the possibility that Evander Kane will be traded to the Evans and Oilers. We will talk about um, the possibility of Duncan Keith re-signing with the Evans and Oilers. <laughs> And we will talk about the possibility of Stuart Skinner, Stuart Skinner having to leave the Edmonton Oilers because of contractual demands that the Oilers might be uh, having to fulfill based on signings they make this summer. This is down the road with Skinner. We'll also look at um, keep, hold, or fold with two Edmonton Oilers wingers, Zach Cassian and Warren Fogel. So um, that's on the agenda. Let's start with the... A Vander Kane rumor, Bruce. So this uh, came up. Mark Spector was talking about it. This was his, as he put it, a theory. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My theory about NHL insiders having theories is that they talk to people who know what might be in, coming up. And um, it's then presented as a theory. That's just complete speculation on my part, though. I have no idea that that's what's going on here. But um, so the, the theory, spec, Mark Spector's theory is um, that the NHL wants to avoid arbitration. They, they, they feel, I think the feeling is that um, San Jose's case might not be great and that the, they're not going to be able to avoid this contract. So they're going to be stuck with the contract. <clears throat> and the NHL doesn't want a ruling. I don't, you know, the idea is they don't want to have a precedent set by this this situation. They just rather it be dealt with beforehand. So they've done a number of things. They pushed the arbitration hearing 
wait, you know, it's, I don't think there's not a date listed yet. They say the arbitrator's not available till well after July 13th, till free agency starts, which puts Kane in a tough position because sure if he's going to sign with another team, they need cap space. They're going to, the teams are going to rapidly use their cap space on other players. So, so he's suddenly in a situation where the list of potential destinations goes way down. Now, if for San Jose, there's also incentive to make a deal because if their position is weak, Bruce, they could lose the case and then they have Kane late July on his cap hit on his existing contract. And I, I, and I think it's an all or nothing proposition where they either they either have to live with the new the contract as it is. He's, the contract stands or it's void. And if it's void, they don't own him anything and he's a UFA. So Kane could be a UFA at the end of July where there's no one, there's a lot fewer teams to go to. Or San Jose could have his contract, $7 million a year, which they then, that presumably they don't want Kane and they'd have to trade it, which is also harder for San Jose to do at the time because all the other teams have followed their plans. So maybe the idea, the theory that Spectre has is they're going to trade Kane beforehand. And this could happen anytime now, I guess. And um, this might involve San Jose retaining some of Kane's. He's got three years left at $7 million, retaining something of that, although they're, they're in a much better position to trade that contract now, Kane having played so well. Three years at $7 million is actually kind of a good idea. Like, it's, it suddenly, you know, looks like a good idea with Kane. Better three years of Kane at $7 million, because on the open market, maybe he can get $6 million for five years or... Six and a half million dollars for five years. Like he could be a lot more expensive on the open market. So that contract doesn't look so bad, and a team might want to trade for it. I think Bob Stoffer said, if I'm not mistaken, that the the only way the owners are going to be able to get Kane is in a trade like this. Hmm. So um, <clears throat> because I think then the term and the term makes sense for them. Cap hits a little harder, but what it would mean is the Oilers would trade players to San Jose. They'd give up contract. They'd give up players with contracts and then fill in that space. So, you know, the Oilers have Cassian at 3.2 million. They have Fogel at 2.75 million, both for the next two years. They have Yesapuliarvi, who's got a contract coming up. And apparently the fear is, you know, the Oilers might be happy to get Puliyarvi at 2 million or 2.5 million a year. But they're worried about him going to arbitration and because of his uh, fancy stats, maybe getting three and a half or four million, something like that, that they, that they can't afford. So all these players names, you know, Spectre brought up in theory as as potential people that can go to San Jose and, and also Tyson Berry in, a, in return for, you know, one or more of them in return for Evander Kane. There's Cat Stevens. So that's the theory, Bruce. What do you make of it? Yeah, well, there's. Very little bit I don't know to comment too uh, uh, knowledgeably on it, but uh, uh, if San Jose and Kane were to come to some kind of settlement, uh, you know, one possible outcome, I mean, San Jose stopped paying this guy on January the 9th, and that's when the Oilers picked him up. And he wound up, uh, you know, leaving money on the table because he was supposed to get a $7 million contract, and they stopped paying him on... Uh, January 9th, after he spent a chunk of time on the suspended list before that. And here in Edmonton, he, he made, relatively speaking, chump change. So there may have to be some financial recompense. Yes. Beyond mm-hmm. that, 
uh, a reinstatement of that contract, three years at uh, uh, $7 million cap hit, $19 million in real money owing to him, or sorry, in uh, escrow money, Bettman bucks. Um, but he's got, um, uh, you know, that's at least something approaching fair value that you could at least see the players saying, you know, reinstatement is worthwhile. But the chances of him going, signing with San Jose and going back to that team strike me as being close to zero. You know, there was no, he's not signing there again. No, he's not about signing. A t- about his teammates and, you know, what was going on there. It's not bad blood. <clears throat> that the only way for them to do that is sort of to uh, settle and trade. That's a new it's a new style of trade. We used to have sign and trade. Now we have settle and trade. Um, and he, uh, his contract has a modified no trade where he submits a list of three teams he can be traded to. Correct. And presumably he could revise the list of three teams at such times the settlement was reached. Uh, but he could sort of, I think almost pick his destination, and I'd have to think that if he was picking three teams, that Edmonton could well be one of them based on his positive experience here. So it's uh, it's feasible, and whether San Jose in moving on would retain some cap or take something back, at, you know, something expensive back as well as some other kind of asset uh, to make the trade work from Edmonton's perspective. Uh, who's to know? It, it would be a complicated and messy deal, to say the least. I, I think they'd be thrilled, probably thrilled to get Yesapoliarvi for Evander Kane. I mean, that would be a huge win for them. Like, they were willing to eat salary and give up Kane for, mm-hmm. with eating, you know, eating half his salary, I think, when they were trying to move him in the winter time. So to not have to eat any or um, part, you know, hardly any of his contract in terms of retaining cap hit, and getting a good player like Pugliarvi, they'd be over the moon, I, I, I'd i think. Now, we don't know what the deal is or what the suggestion is, like what the orders are talking about. And I also don't know one thing, like, can San Jose just say, okay, we've changed our minds. We're we're not voiding the contract. Mm-hmm. We're just trading it. We're trading them. Right. And can they just do that? And I don't, I don't know. So. <clears throat> I don't know that. Do they need, actually, because they took this action then to actually yeah. come to a settlement with him, so then mm-hmm. the ball's in Kane's court, and you'd think what Kane, what Kane might be thinking as well, just settle and make me a free agent. Yes. Might be what he would want. Mm-hmm. So then it's unlikely that the orders can trade for his contract. It seems to me would, Kane's interest here is settle with San Jose, get whatever money is owing mm-hmm. to him for this past year, and then become a UFA. Like that's what he, so if he, if San Jose just can't trade that contract, which would be their in their interest, or maybe they can, Bruce. Maybe they can just make good on what they didn't pay him this year and pay that up and then trade the trade the contract the last three years. So these are some unknowns in this whole situation that I don't I don't get and I don't know the answer to those questions. So um, they have two they have two different interests in terms of settling with Kane wanted probably wanted to be a UFA. And San Jose, if they if they've made up their mind to to move before the arbitration, wanting to uh, trade the contract because the contract's actually not a bad contract and you can get value back in return for it. So it's certainly worth more today than it was on January 9th. You know, I think a lot of teams they couldn't yeah. retain and, and trade it uh, because his uh, 
his reputation was sewered at that point, and uh, uh, he went some way to rehabilitating that during his time in Edmonton. Uh, I mean, there are background issues that uh, that are going to remain uh, there, you know, on his record, uh, certainly. But uh, you know, what he did while he was in Edmonton was, you know, there was nothing negative that I heard of, other than getting suspended for the last playoff game, which was not a good good look. But uh, his contract, such as it is that remains, three years is. Uh, um, I wouldn't want to go any longer with that guy. Let's put it that way. But uh, I, I, you know, I don't. I don't think it's out of line with the, with his on ice value. And the question is, it returns again to the off ice stuff and how much stock he put on that. And the others have already demonstrated that they're prepared to move past it. Yeah, I mean, could Kane get more than three years at seven million on the open market? Question. Could he get seven million on the open market? You know, he he might. They may have kind of sussed that out with other teams by now. I don't know how that works, but uh, they might have an idea about that. It's so it's a it's an interesting situation, Bruce. I've gone from thinking he's not coming back to thinking, well, there's there's, you know, seems like um, there's a chance. Seems like there's a, maybe a decent chance this is going to happen. So. Seems like it's it's being talked about in real terms now, among the sports writers like Spectre and on Oilers now, and like the people who, who who regularly talk to Oilers management and the agents and have a sense of this. Um, although you know John Shannon was on, and he uh, another NHL insider, and he was definitely talking about Kane as a UFA rather than this proposition of a trade. So who knows where we're at with it? There's another one that's come up, Bruce. Trading Duncan Keith's contract to a to a team which uh, needs to get to the cap floor. Why don't you describe um, what this scenario looks like in terms of the Oilers being creative with um, players and cap space and contracts? Yeah, this was brought up a, a couple of times on uh, Jason Greger's show on uh, TSN 1260 uh, yesterday. Uh, about uh, possibility of a trade that would kind of work for for both teams of the Oilers trading the last year of, of Duncan Keith's contract to a team below the cap floor with Arizona, the dumping ground of contracts around the NHL that somehow is still below the cap floor apparently, uh, accepting uh, him in the trade, uh, turning around and buying him out, uh, thus making him a free agent, a free agent uh, with the thinking being that the Oilers could then re-sign him as a free agent at a similar contract, uh, uh, you know, as the cash value on his old one. And this is the key to the thing, is that he's only owed $1.5 million in real money next year, whereas his cap hit is $5.5 million. That's a huge disparity. Whereas if they trade that to um, uh, Arizona, the buyout would only cost Arizona two thirds of that 1.5 million. It would cost them a million bucks, uh, two years, $500,000 a year to pay the guy out. Uh, so, relatively speaking, pocket change. And by adding the dead cap to their space next year, it would potentially help them reach the cap floor. So, it's not like there's nothing in it for Arizona, but there would need to be more in it for Arizona to accommodate the orders. They'd be wanting draft picks or a young player or something of value uh, to make that trade. And the player who has a no trade uh, clause 
uh, it would have to be in his interest as well that, I mean, he'd be getting the extra million bucks from Arizona that he might come back and sign for, I think it would take at least the full 1.5, if not 2 million, or maybe a, a two-year deal. I mean, there's different ways to sweeten the pot from the player's perspective. Uh, but at the same time, uh, bring down that crippling cap hit by uh, three or four million dollars. You know, that would be a big win for the Oilers if they were able to pull that off at a, at a reasonable cost. And unlike many trade proposals, which look good for one team, but as soon as you look at it from the other team's perspective, you're going, well, why in the hell would they do that? Uh, in this case, there's actually a, a reason why Ari's, why in the hell Arizona might do that. That uh, uh, involves the cap floor and also involves their willingness to take on all kinds of stuff as long as it comes with draft choices and and uh, other goodies so uh, it's at least uh, uh it's 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 an idea of a trade it would need the involvement of basically three parties the oilers the coyotes and the player duncan keith to all come to terms say okay this works for me this works for us and there is a scenario where that might actually work to the advantage of, of all three, uh, at least until the NHL rules against the Oilers and takes away another draft pick. Yeah, you're, There's you're always just, that uh, hanging over us like the sword of Damocles. Yeah. There's no nothing in the offing in that regard, though. That's just a joke. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm kidding on that last part. But, yeah. you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting idea, and like most interesting... Uh, ideas in common sections the chance of it actually happening are probably under one percent but what the hey well i think you get like let's say a player like dimitri samarukov or marcus nimalainen mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. arizona right and get to the mm-hmm. cap floor. Yeah. that's that's not bad incentive to proceed mm-hmm. so um you know the owners would that would be uh you know the owners do have kind of a you know they've got a lot of good young defensemen on the farm team um, you can't use them all. They can't all be in Edmonton. So you have to make up your mind and you do have to, you, you, they should move one of those pieces if they can't, um, if they're not anticipating that particular player to be in Edmonton. So, um, Samur, you know, it could come down to Samarukov or Nimalainen, both left shot defensemen with potential to be the seventh defenseman in Edmonton this summer, excuse me, next winter. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Bruce. My, let's move on to the Stuart Skinner scenario. So there's lots of talk right now about maybe Jack Campbell of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who's a 30-year-old goalie, a very good goalie. He's had about five good years in the in a row when you look at AHL and NHL seasons combined. He's been a at least average, above average goalie in the AHL and the NHL for five seasons in a row. He's a he's 30. He's a pretty good goalie. Um, he's a UFA. I don't know what he would get as a UFA. Seems to me he'd be the most valuable commodity on the UFA market. Some people think it'll be Vili Husso, but um, I think Campbell's a better bet than Husso, just based on um, the last three or four or five years. Anyway, my concern is this, that the Oilers, let's say they trade, let's they figure out a way to get Kane. Um, you have McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, Darnell Nurse. You got a lot of big contracts all of a sudden. And you start to pay four or five, six million dollars a year for a goalie as well. For Jack Campbell, who's going to be looking for a big payday? He's, I think he made a million six or a million five yes. last year. Yeah. So 
he's going to be looking to make some money. Um, what the Oilers have to do is, y- yes, they are in a position to challenge for the Stanley Cup next year. So they, you got to get another good goalie if Mike Smith isn't coming back. And there's lots of talk that that's not happening because of the major injuries that he played with all last season. Um, but if Stuart Skinner does pan out and becomes a good goalie, um, if Philip Broberry pans out and becomes a good, really good defenseman, if Evan Bouchard becomes an all-star hockey player, which is a possibility, if Dylan Holloway uh, and Ryan McLeod and Kyler Yamamoto become excellent hockey players, Xavier Borgo, you know, it's just, you can only afford so much in this NHL. And I'm starting to worry with these contracts. If, if you go, like, I, I can see the orders bringing on one more big contract this, this summer, Kane or a goalie. If you, if you bring in both, though, on longer-term deals, it starts to really handcuff the team in terms of signing some of these younger players. So Stuart Skinner turns out, and suddenly you don't have the money to sign him. And this is my concern about... Um, I think they can probably find a wiggle room for for one guy, mm-hmm. two Bruce. That strikes me as a stretch. And I, you know, I haven't crunched the numbers. I'm just kind of going by feel, just by the number of big contracts we see on this team. But they are adding up. There's a number of them, and you can only have so many. So, I just I'm just looking down the road and thinking, wow, um, can you really? Is this really prudent? And if if it's not, what else can you do? I guess. It's particularly an issue at the goaltending position because, you know, there's only one goalie in any given yeah. game, right? It's not like you can you can uh, bury a guy down the lineup, get them both playing or whatever. You don't have a designated hitter where you can use both your catchers like the Blue Jays like to do. Uh, you know, you can use one goalie at a time. And you can do something like what Florida Panthers did. I mean, this is an extreme case where they went out and they signed Sergei Bobrovsky. Seven years, 70 million bucks. No movement clause, bonuses, the whole shebang. One of them four horsemen of the apocalypse contracts. And now they have Spencer Knight bubbling up in their system. And what the hell are they going to do with the guy? Because they've got Sergei Bobrovsky with four years to run at $10 million. And it's Spencer Knight, first of all, I mean, is he even going to get the opportunity to prove what a goalie he is? And then are they going to have the budget that they're going to be able to pay the guy? And uh, both of those uh, both of those are, are questions, and they may well wind up having to move on from the good young goalie because they've made such a massive commitment to the good older goalie. And it's, uh, I mean, the other solution is what Montreal Canadiens did, which is, you know, uh, sign Carey Price to ten and a half million times eight years, and then also pay a good contract to the backup goalie, and then have a goaltending budget that runs fourteen million dollars. Well, that's going to come out of the rest of your your team. So, you know, that's not really a good solution either. So, I'm sure it would be nice if we had a better idea of exactly what Oilers have in Stuart Skinner four years into his pro career. All we know is he's got one year to run that NHL minimum and that next year they no longer have waiver options on him. They're going to have to keep him on the team or risk losing him. Uh, So it's very likely that he makes the team, very likely that he's a backup goalie and he plays 20 games. And hopefully by the end of that, we have a better idea. And, you know, I mean, he won't get expensive until he gets good. Let's put it that way. But uh, uh, 
the scenario where he is the backup to Mike Smith, who has one year to run and he's 40 years old, well, at the end of that year, there's an obvious succession plan in, in place because yeah. this contract expires and now you got the young goalie who's ready to roll. So uh, for whatever you think of Mike Smith, uh, a plan like that where you have a, you know, a veteran who's, uh, uh, you know, not doesn't have a big money contract that stretches on till forever. Uh, it gives you a lot more flexibility with that young guy. Yeah, you're right. Like the, it's too bad Smith in some ways, like, you know, it's really too bad it's hurt in a way. If he was healthy one more year of Mike Smith, then you're set, right? You see what's, if Skinner can turn out or not. And if he can, then, then you're looking for a backup goalie for Stuart Skinner. You're not looking for another starter to compete. So, um, Anyway, we'll see what develops there. Um, Jack Campbell may be actually a very good, like I don't have anything against Jack Campbell. He's, he looks like he's a good goalie. And maybe um, if you don't break the bank on him. I just think like Toronto's losing these players. Like they lost Zach Hyman and Campbell because they got so many big contracts. Well, mm-hmm. we're heading in the same direction that Toronto's now in, yeah. strikes me. And I just find that a little bit concerning. Yeah, Darcy Kemper is the other name, of course, that's coming on the market potentially. Uh, Colorado might lock them up, but they have five important free agents, and they're not going to be able to afford all five guys. They've got Nachushkin, uh, Burakovsky, uh, Kadri, and uh, Josh Manson, as well as uh, Darcy Kemper. Yeah. And Kemper, I just noticed a thing uh, on Twitter today saying that he had to see a vision specialist something like th- <clears throat> three times a day to retrain his eye that got poked with a stick through the mask in the Nashville series. And then you'll recall that when they played the Oilers, he got hit in the head with a shot in the first game and he departed for the whole rest of the series with uh, vision problems from that, which how related the two are, uh, who knows? And I mean... Uh, I'm a fan of Darcy Kemper, have been since he was a Red Deer Rebel, and I've uh, watched his career with interest, and great for him that he won the Stanley Cup. But I'm not sure that I want to invest a huge future contract in a goalie with uh, double vision, you know. <laughs> in which puck do you stop? It's, it's kind of a problem. So, I mean, joking aside, though, I mean, you really want to be 100% uh, certain of the, uh, of the guy's, uh, uh, you know, physiological any any issues that he might have had to deal with to be sure that they've in fact been dealt with speaking of the last time on the podcast we were talking about the orders maybe trading for chris dreger and mm. un, unbeknownst to either of us yes. uh he hit the, he was at the world championships and he and he hurt his knee and he's out for eight or nine months yeah he hurt, yeah I, I saw the game and everything david and i should have in the podcast it sort of crossed my mind and I thought he's got all summer to heal but no it's worse than that and he's out for deep into next season he's another victim of the Sergei Bobrovsky contract he had a great year in Florida and they just had to move on from him because they couldn't afford him so they they sent him to uh, Seattle all right Bruce let's move on let's start with uh Zach Cassian keep hold or fold um <laughs> What's your take? Keep, hold, or fold? Oh, boy. Uh, personally, I'm ready to fold if you can find a way to do it. Uh, he's. Um, I just wrote a post on the, on Cass on the uh, Cult of Hockey uh, that's uh, up today. 
Um, and the big issue with him is his cap hit, his contract. Uh, this was a, 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 a mistake by Ken Holland to, uh, to sign him at a time where his value was as high as it could be. He was running a real hot shooting streak, having spent basically a calendar year on a line with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And just coming out the other end of that, where he, you know, sort of lost that assignment and was on a different line, he had a beat down of Matthew Kachuk that had everybody happy with him. And at that moment in time, with, a, you know, half the season left to play and the playoffs, uh, where Ken Holland decided now's the time to re-sign him for four years at $3.2 million. So a long-term and a hefty cap hit. And the two, of course, in combination are deadly. Well, two years into the four-year contract, uh, he scored eight goals. And uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, not pr producing any kind of offense. He's a kind, you know, he's a, as a defensive player, as you and I have noted on many podcasts, he's a fairly iffy defensive player. Uh, he does bring the physicality, uh, but not as much as he used to because he's getting beat up. I mean, he spent so much time on IR the last two years, and this is partly explaining why his game has tumbled as far as it has, is that he spent four different times on IR, and three of them were the injury was serious enough that he wound up going to long-term injured reserve, which is basically anything over 24 days. So, <clears throat> so significant injuries, including two uh, this past season that might be classified as concussions where he got punched and missed time with a head injury in a preseason fight. And then he uh, took a slap shot uh, in the in the face and broke his jaw with uh, head trauma associated with that. So, I mean, we don't know the medical details. All we know is what we see on the ice, which is a diminished player who's now 31 years old. Uh, he's <clears throat> well into that period where a lot of... Uh, of uh, big uh, power forwards tend to, to lose their uh, their edge and often they fall uh, fairly quickly uh, from their from their peak to to you know right down the slope as uh, Oilers fans have seen with Milan Lucic with James Neal in recent years and those two years at 3.2 you know that's a big investment for a third or fourth line player. And I just don't see the upside that they've got to find some way to uh, to uh, move on, whether it's a trade or a buyout. I'm in the uh, hold camp with Cassian. Mm -hmm. um, I think I I, I think he, uh, defensively he's improved as the years have gone on. He's not quite he doesn't turn over the puck in his own zone on the boards like he used to. He's he manages it better. I think he's about an average defensive winger on the Oilers. Um, his even strength scoring uh, per points per 60, he had more even strength points per 60 this year than Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, which isn't saying a lot because Nugent has been a weak even strength score two years running now. But uh, Nugent was at 1.52 per 60. Mm -hmm. Cassian's at 1.54. Cutter Yamamoto at 1.64. So it, not much difference between Yamamoto, Cassian, Nugent Hopkins, uh, Warren Fogle, 1.42. So actually Fogle, I, I think Fogle um, was a little better than his numbers. He created a lot more um, in terms of 
contributing to grade A shots, and they just didn't go in this year for Fogel. So I think there's a little bit of that play at play with with Fogel, where Cassian got a bit lucky, I think, uh, in terms of getting more points than probably he deserved based on how many grade A shots he's contributing to. So he, there's a, there was a, you know, a slight rumor-ish kind of comment. Um, You know, Bob Stoffer on Oilers Now was talking about where things might go with the Oilers this summer. And uh, in a long list of things that might or might not happen, he mentioned that um, Zach Cassian and Warren Fogle had played for DJ Smith in junior hockey. And um, so Ottawa might be a destination with, and the idea Connor Brown, who's a winger on the Senators, he's got a year left on his deal, might be coming to Edmonton. So I don't know. Uh, I actually, Warren Fogle had a really good year at even strength um, in terms of his two-way play. He just didn't put up a lot of points. But I, I didn't mind him as a third-line winger. He's also pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. Cassian, um, the main concern for me is his injuries. Right. He only played 58 games this year in their in the regular season. I thought he actually played a, better in the playoffs. He was a better player in the playoffs than he had been in the regular season. He cranked it up and did have some good games and played better there. Um, so I, I'm i not crazy about the buyout with Cassian. Um, what I would hope is that they could move him and get better terms on a deal in terms of moving him than the buyout would present for the Oilers. So if the Oilers can move Cassian and not have to retain too much salary, you do it in a heartbeat because he's not a $3.2 million a year player. He's probably more like a $1.5 million a year player, $2 million a year player at most um, at this point. He he is a big physical player. I, I could see a team like Ottawa with a lot of young talent on that team wanting his physicality and, and, you know, that kind of veteran tough guy. Cassian does bring that. He is still a very tough hockey player, an intimidating hockey player. He's an okay bottom line player. I don't think he's a terrible player. He's he's okay. He just gets paid too much. So I'm kind of in the, that's where I'm at. Hold, see what, see what's being offered. Um, In terms of a buyout, I'd have to think hard about that, Bruce. I, I, I'm not, the, the injuries are a concern that he could he could fall off a cliff. If he can provide two more years of what he just provided, I would be against a buyout. But you have to weigh against that, his injury situation, which really did mount this year. And there was a number of fairly, you know, major injuries. You know, he's he, like, in terms of him fighting anymore, I just think it's nuts if he's for him to get in any more fights. Um, given That's his a lot of work you're paying for. It, and it is, it is, you're right. So, but I don't, I don't mind if he doesn't fight. I think he's tough and can just by his hitting, uh, he's an intimidating hockey player and can add to your team. And I think he's an okay two-way hockey player. I don't mind him on your fourth line, but that's a lot of money for a fourth line guy. He can play up now and then. Pay your the whole lineup. fourth line for less than that. Well, exactly, right? So if they buy him out, I'm not going to be screaming, oh, that's that's madness. Like, how, why could you do that? I, I, I could see the thinking, but that's not where I would be going with the player. I, uh, I would be uh, looking to move him because I think he's movable. I think he there's a player there and you just have to retain some money or send an asset with him and you can move Zach Cassian and, and, and it might not be as bad as the buyout option. 
Well, yeah, first choice for sure would be try and move them because the buyout option does have a, you know, a four year. Um, it echoes uh, down the road. They actually would save over 2.5 million in the year to come. And that's very tempting. Uh, but only 1.3 million the year after that. And then the two years after that, they have a, you know, a lingering penalty of basically 1 million bucks. So all of the savings would be more or less realized right away. Uh, one just odd thing about Cassian, uh, his 1.54 points per 60 is at even strength. And at five on five, which is what I use, he's 1.28 and actually 12th out of 12. And to know explorers last year who, uh, who played 300 or more minutes. Uh, so his production is, uh, is if he does have some offense, uh, he's not scoring many goals, but he can, he can make a pass now and again. Um, how, how can he have so many more? He had he, an extra one goal and two assists in other situations, and it wasn't what would uh, that overtime. Four four? <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> overtime. Might be four and four. Might be delayed penalty. Uh, you know, there's ways to, to ways to get an even strength goal where it isn't straight five on five. And I'm not saying those points don't count. I'm just saying the the metric I use is five on five, where there's a goalie in each net because I do know the empty net goals tend to really really. Uh, confuse the issue so that's one way to, to well they can uh, yeah i guess them. he didn't score any i don't think but um he i like the bigger sample size i like giving players credit for whatever they've done so i i go with the even strength and anyway it's six of one half it is a dozen of another and i know that most people probably go with a five on five but um i, I just like the bigger sample and, I, and if someone's done something good i like to or bad if they haven't scored i like to to note that so he did get those three extra points somehow. I can't imagine how, because maybe four, he never, he hardly played, maybe he played some four on four and scored then. All right, Bruce, Fogel, I, I, I'll i go first on Fogel. Sure. Uh, he's 2.75 million. Um, his point, even strength, or his five, yeah, his even strength point production, 1.42 is really mediocre. Um, it's third line winger-ish, maybe. But I, I, I liked his play, especially as the regular season went on. He he is a physical player, goes hard to the net. He was disappointing in the playoffs. He didn't step up. I predicted that he was going to. I was wrong, incorrect in that. I based that on the fact that he had, he had created a lot of grade A shots in the regular season. They just weren't going in. And they continued to not go in in the playoffs. And in fact, he created less. He was less good in the playoffs than he had been in the regular season. He was not as effective a, a hockey player just slightly less effective, but um, um, so I don't mind the player at all. There, I think there's a there's a NHL third line winger there. I wouldn't be surprised next year he goes to a team. Could be the Oilers, whatever team he's on. If he got 15 goals and 30 points, most of that even strength, or 17 goals and 12 assists, something like that, mm-hmm. and and a useful big physical player who doesn't kill you defensively. He's who's okay defensively. Um, Warren Fogel's a useful NHL hockey player. He's pl- he's paid $2.75 million this year, next year. That's below the NHL average. So it's not like he's grossly overpaid if he's a third-line winger um, achieving at that level, which I expect. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the hold category with him as well. You have to just see what the offer is. See who wants him. See, see if someone, you know, could the... Could Dylan Holloway, for instance, step in and give you everything that Warren Fogle did 
this year with the orders, I, I think that's a really good bet and a, a cheaper, cheaper bet than Warren Fogle. So you have this this possibility of of um, Holloway. You've got Raphael Lavoie, who's a big tough winger um, who played in the AHL last year. He's probably needs another at least half year in the AHL. Definitely. But he's a possibility. And then there's all the the whole free agent market this summer. And there's going to be there's lots of players. There's always lots of players. Could you get someone to come in who's who's earning a million dollars a year and gave you what Warren Fogle did in the playoffs and the regular season last year? Well, you'd probably come close and it would free up money for a cane and maybe for a goalie. So, again, um, with Fogle, I don't think you have to eat anything to move the contract. I think you could probably find a team who will take him on. Um, you might not get anything in return, much in return, but I, I don't think he's like an, I don't think he's a negative cap ter- territory necessarily. He's really close to that, but I don't think he's, he's, he's just on the cusp of it. So I don't think you're going to have to give up a, a, a good draft pick or any draft pick at all to move him. Um, maybe you get something back, a load round draft pick in, in return for Warren Fogle, like a sixth rounder or fifth round or something like that. That's the kind of deal um, I would expect there. Where are you? Well, they certainly acquired him to, to uh, uh, fix an ongoing problem in the bottom six. They didn't have just enough NHL class players. Yeah. Uh, and he came in with all of that reputation. Uh, his season, like his point production, 12 goals, 14 assists, uh, most of it at even strength is kind of in line with sort of decent production for a bottom sixer. Uh, he was a uh, minus nine on the season. Uh, part of that was, uh, I don't know if you want to call it luck, but his, the percentages were against him. Like the Oilers actually carried the play to a small degree when he was on the ice, uh, but the goals weren't going in and his PDO was uh, was poor meaning the other team had a significantly higher shooting percentage when he was on the ice than the Oilers did. Uh, playoffs, though, 13 games. He got, after being the only Oiler to play all 82, he got scratched for three games in the playoffs. The 13 he did play, no goals, one assist, minus five. Dead heat with Josh Archibald. And, you know, that's... You expect more. And you certainly yeah. expect more. 2.75 million. And again, it's a case of not only did he get a higher cap hit, but he got a longer term than a lot, you know, the standard two years or, or even one year deal that Holland gave up. Well, Vogel got three years, so he's got two years to run at that price. And one issue with him, like Zach Cassian, is he doesn't play special teams. You know, a little bit second power play unit, but, you know, seconds a game kind of thing. And not at all on the penalty kill. So all of the value in that contract, in each case, you know, around $3 million at even strength, playing, you know, not top six feature minutes. The guy needs to do a lot in that time. And so it's, uh, it's I, I'm in the whole camp. Like, I, I, you don't just get rid of the guy. He is an NHL player, and he did have his, uh, he had some really good games where he was all over the puck. And then a lot of other games where he was kind of vanilla, but he wasn't really hurting the team. Um, but the contract's a bit rich, but uh, it's there. I, I think there, there there would be uh, far less reason for them to move on from this player than from Cassian, in my opinion. 
In the playoffs, I didn't think he was a defensive liability. That's what our numbers are telling us. He didn't make a lot of mistakes on grade-A shots against. He just didn't create a lot on the attack. And what I'm concerned with is a bit of recency bias, like the same thing we're experiencing with Puliyarvi, where he had a weak playoff. <laughs> so you have these players who disappointed in the playoffs, and they really did. Like there, there are two wingers who just didn't get it done and, and needed to do more. But if they had, you know, I don't think we'd be having like they're, you know, they, they were pro- both pretty good in the regular season. Pugliarvi better than Fogel, but Fogel not bad. And um, even in the regular season, Bruce, when, when like so we track who gets the grade A shots on the team. So Fogel in terms of, you know, so the on average uh, for the whole team. Uh, in terms of our counting of grade A shots this year, Bruce, 24% of grade A shots went in the net for goals this year, 24%. So Fogel and Pugliarvi, though, were two of the, uh, for for Pugliarvi, just 16% of his grade A shots went in. And for Fogel, it was uh, um, 17%. Compare that to Evander Kane, 31%. Leon Dreisaitl, 30%. Connor McDavid, uh, 23%. Zach Hyman, 22%. Kyler Yamamoto, 23%. So McDavid and um, Hyman and Yamamoto are kind of right on the mark, around 20, 24%, 25%. You know, Drysaddle's above that. Well, he's always above that because he's such a great shooter. Mm-hmm. Evander Kane, well, you'd have to see. Like, did he just get hot? Did he get, no. or did he, was there something about his scoring chances? Were they right close to the net set up by Connor McDavid? So they were basically gimme shots that he could replicate that really high shooting percentage on grade A shots. There's a possibility, but with Pulley, RV and Fogel, you know, what comes to mind with both those players is the number of chances they had where they just were right in there and they couldn't score. And some of that was them not being great snipers. Neither of them is a great sniper. Some of it was just bad puck luck. They could have easily had both of these, either of these players could have easily had three or four or five more goals this year, I think, with slightly different puck luck. If you're looking at a Warren Fogel who scored 17 goals or a Yessa Pugliarvi who scored 19 or 20 goals this year, the conversation's different. And that's just, that's just about, and, and, and all, the only thing that was di- would be different there would be different puck luck. Just a, just a slight movement on five different shots, just slight different timing on five different shots, it comes down to whether you move the player or not. So you have to be very careful, I think, in, ter- in moving these players because they did have bad puck luck in the regular season, I think, and the recency bias of the playoffs. So this gives me, if Pugliarvi comes back and Fogel comes back, I'm going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, I, because of these are the reasons I'm going to be okay. Because I think there's some, there's, these are NHL hockey players. Pugliarvi's, Fogel's a, a third line winger. Pugliarvi's a top six winger in my view. So, and um, you move on from these guys, you may regret it. That's my only point with both of them. Yeah, well, Fogel definitely uh, produced less than you, uh, than you would expect from the other numbers, uh, including our scoring chance numbers. And some some of that is, as you suggest, uh, just shooting talent. You got an above average sniper; he's going to pot more of a, you know the same number of chances than a than an average or a below average sniper as Poliarvi and Fogel. Maybe they're just below average. Maybe they just had uh, a run of sustained uh, poor luck that in a different season would just go away. 
uh, you know, or maybe they're like dry sidle, but in the opposite direction that you'd see the same pattern emerge in the next season and the one beyond that because they're, you know, just poor shooters. Uh, I, I don't know that we've seen enough to make that statement definitively, uh, but shooting talent's part of it. I would also be interested to know, um, for instance, uh, for Evander Kane and his 31%, well, what percent of his chances did we judge as being five alarm as opposed to grade A chances? Like, did yeah. he have, did he have a, 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 a high proportion of really great chances and he did a good job of burying those? Or was it more he was doing, just getting sort of garden variety grade A shots, but his great wrist shot or whatever was uh, was beating goalies? and. That would uh, that would involve another layer of analysis, and I don't think we have that tool because we only started doing the five alarm partway uh, through the season. You're right. So we don't have that for full season data on that. We don't even have it for Kane's full amount of time. So I think that Kane's number of five alarm shots were um, much higher. Now, Puliyarvi had a lot of five alarm shots though too. They were playing mm-hmm. with McDavid, both of them. If Puliyarvi had cashed in his chances at the same rate, his grade A shots at the same rate as Kane, he would have had 28 goals this year, Bruce. So that's what shooting talent or and good puck luck will do for a player. Like, yes, a pulley RV scored 28 goals this year. If that, had, he would not be, be, he would not be moved right now. So, but it didn't happen, right? It didn't happen. So yeah, they all just left to guessing. Return to the right wingers for just a second. The odd thing was last year was that the, the two lowest paid right wingers were the two that wound up playing in the top six that had the best stats, most ice time, uh, the uh, uh, best underlying numbers, like everything. It was Yamamoto and Pugliarvi, each at 1.175 million cap hit, <clears throat> both expired. And then the three guys above them, well, thankfully, at least two of them are expired in uh, uh Kyle Turris at 1.65 million and Josh Archibald at 1.5 million. Both guys, you would think, will be moving on. Or if they do decide to retain Archibald, which wouldn't totally shock me, but surely it would be at a significantly lower figure than 1.5. And and only Cassian has a contract that's ongoing, and of course that's the most expensive one. Yeah. I have a I have a saying I've never shared it before. It's a it's a riff on Billie Jean King, uh, when she said, uh, "Winning is fleeting, losing is forever." And my take is, value contracts are fleeting, boat anchors are forever. <laughs> I like it, Bruce. <laughs> I like it. It's got some staying power. That uh, that's that suggestion, Bruce. I have an appointment I got to get to, yeah. so we'll leave it there. Bruce, um, thanks for talking today. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.